Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of HSJ's Health Check podcast. My name is Nicholas Carding, I'm a senior correspondent at HSJ and I'm standing in for Annabelle over the next couple of weeks while she takes some well-earned holiday. Uh, Joining me today are Jasmine Rapson and Lawrence Dunhill and we're going to be discussing the key messages from this year's NHS Providers Conference where both Amanda Pritchard and Sajid Javid spoke to the sector directly ahead of what is looking like a very difficult winter. As well as dissecting their speeches, we're also going to discuss the news which emerged yesterday, uh, on Wednesday even, that Health Education England will merge with NHS England in what appears to be the climax of the row over training and education budgets. But first, um, we'll start with the NHS Providers Conference, uh, which is traditionally one of the uh, more important events in the health policy calendar uh, and it also signalled the first chance for new NHS England chief Amanda Pritchard to speak to hospital chief directly following her first 100 days or so uh, in charge. So Jasmine you've been covering the conference for us um, can you uh, tell us a bit about what Amanda said and what her key messages were? Yes, so her main priorities were kind of what you would expect, Um, although she did go into some more details of some pretty important, significant things impacting the NHS at the moment, although to the majority of people, probably not that surprising. She started off by covering her main priorities, so focusing on things like tech-enabled care, which has not been built on over the pandemic, including COVID home monitoring, blood pressure monitoring, um, and then she went on to things like workforce retention and recruitment, uh, workforce planning, um, and also encouraging people to come forward for their COVID vaccine and booster vaccine, which is obviously a huge, huge focus at the moment. She went on to acknowledge the extreme pressures that are being felt by non-COVID care at the moment. So I'm sure a lot of people will have heard about the pressures being faced in emergency care and ambulance care at the moment. Um, And she kind of used some very strong language around this, saying that the NHS is heading into a winter like no other and the pressures aren't going to let up anytime soon, which, like I said, particularly for people working on the front line, isn't a massive surprise. But on top of this, she also acknowledged that it's unfair to continue to expect NHS staff uh, to work as hard as they have been over the past 18 months and went on to discuss the 15 year workforce plan that's going to be published by the government next year, hopefully. Um, Although this is perhaps somewhat contradictory as that 15 year workforce plan isn't going to uh, impact frontline staff anytime soon and relieve the pressure that they're under. And this was perhaps in response to um, some criticism that she got last week following an article that she wrote for the HSJ in which she covered her priorities for the next year um, or next few years, uh, sung the praises of NHS and and everything it's achieved over the past 18 months, but didn't really acknowledge the extreme challenges and pressures that staff are facing at the moment. So she took this speech, I think, as an opportunity um, where she said, I've heard you and I've heard that the the concerns of the pressures that you're facing at the moment. And that's why she kind of used the language she did in acknowledging how difficult staff are Mm. are finding things at the moment. Um, Did she offer any um, solutions at all to sort of the challenges this winter? Uh, Because it's all very well talking about 15-year workforce plans and so on. But did she have any uh, sort of, you know, specific thoughts on on how the NHS should sort of... uh, work to meet the challenges for this winter specifically? 
Well, one of the main things um, that, that she focused on and, and kind of I took away from her speech was that she um, stressed about how um, social care is having a huge impact on the NHS um, and how uh, there's kind of well, how pressures in domiciliary care, for example, um, mean that patients are spending much longer in hospitals. Um, and that's causing the backlog through the urgent emergency care department um, and, you know, coming all the way through to ambulance care. And um, that's, you know, and she kind of used the term that the fate of the NHS is inextricably linked to mm. um, what's going on in domiciliary care. And so she said there needs to be a huge focus on supporting care homes um, to make sure that there's enough free space to, to kind of discharge people to, but also supporting people within the NHS um, to make sure patients can be discharged as quickly as possible. I mean, that's obviously very vague and there was no specifics on exactly how they're going to achieve this, which is somewhat concerning. Um, yeah. But we'll just have to see how that kind of pans out. Yeah. Um, Lawrence, did you have your hand up for a second? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that um, I, I think that, that they don't want to admit this yet, but in reality, if if things um, kind of continue on the current trajectory, they're, they're simply just going to have to do what they did last winter and um, and scale back massively on on their elective activity and, and some other stuff, possibly cancer, um, because they, they, they won't be able to cope and 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 they'll have to take those those same steps um but i suppose they want to kind of see how long they can last um be before having to admit that yeah and in yeah in terms of the the social care uh, issues because obviously as you say hospital the flow through hospital is key uh, otherwise as lauren says elective activity is clearly going to be impacted uh, what are the examples that local areas are doing um, in regard of social care? Because Jasmine, I think you've got a story out today, haven't you, which follows on quite nicely from what I suppose Amanda is talking about, uh, how the NHS can, can deal with this problem. Just talk us through what's happening uh, in Staffordshire, isn't it? Yeah, so Staffordshire, um, two CCGs in Staffordshire, um, kind of working in partnership with the County Council in the area as well, um, have set aside £2.8 million to put towards the retention and recruitment of social care staff. Um, I think the idea behind this is to fund bonuses for care staff in the area because um, there is a, a deficit, deficit in care staff at the moment, which is also likely to be exacerbated by the, the compulsory coronavirus vaccines which is expected to have more of an impact on, on the number of staff that, that are working uh, social care at the moment. And that, as we understand it, is the first scheme of its kind um, to be going on locally at the moment. Um, and I'm sure there'll be kind of um, varying views on, on you know, how appropriate that is, um, given, you know, the state of play in the NHS at the moment, but it kind of follows on from what Amanda Pritchard was saying in that, you know, and, and as much support needs to be given to care homes as possible, um, also at the social care sector to ensure that the pressure is taken off hospitals, you know, wherever it possibly can. Hmm. Did, uh, did the people in Staffordshire sort of give any indication of how much they thought this would help them deal with the, the challenges winter in terms of like, you know, elective activity levels or you know prevention for for ed attendances were they were they able to sort of quantify at all how how this particular scheme was going to to help them in short not really and um, it was kind of you know there wasn't loads and loads of information that was published at the time just the fact that they were kind of carrying out this scheme and they and they hoped it would kind of have a direct um, impact on 
hospitals and the pressures that they're facing. So um, I guess it's something that will have to be monitored over the winter to see exactly what kind of impact it has, um, especially with the recruitment aspect, because we all know that recruitment takes a long time, especially for, for the care sector, because there are so many checks that you need to go through. So it'll be interesting to see if it does have a direct impact um, this winter and, and kind of what the scale of it will be as well. Mm. Okay, perfect. So that covers Amanda's speech and obviously plenty more, I'm sure she'll have to say going forwards as winter goes on. Um, now, Jasmine, you also watched uh, Sajid Javid, who I think spoke the next day, and I, I'm not sure he probably has addressed, obviously, uh, providers before, but I, I think it's still a quite a significant conference for him um, just to speak at. So tell us about what, what his main messages were, um, Jasmine. Yeah, so I mean, he started off again by saying the kind of key sound bites that you would expect from him. Um, how you know key focus is going to be elective recovery, keeping the NHS from standing strong, well, keeping the NHS to stand strong over winter, um, funding for elective um, recovery. Um, but one of the main things was leadership, and perhaps one of the most interesting things from his speech. Um, he spoke about how he thought that the current split of uh, NHS tech leadership. Um, is split between three organisations. So at the moment, it's split between NHS X, NHS Digital, NHS England and Improvement. And he recognised that he thought it was quite strange, which I'm sure is the view of quite a few people um, across the health system, um, which is interesting considering NHS X wasn't launched all that long ago um, and it was launched by his predecessor, Matt Hancock. Mm. Um, so that kind of perhaps hints towards the outcome of a long-awaited review by Laura Wade Jerry, the chair of NHS Digital, which has reviewed the structure of digital leadership in the NHS. And when that review was first announced, there were already quite a few rumours or perhaps concerns about what the outcome might be. And, and one of those is perhaps um, bringing all of the units together into one organisation um, and perhaps spelling the end of NHS Digital, although we don't know if that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that could be his kind of uh, words about the, the split of leadership could be hinting at what's going to come out of that review and the results of that review are expected. Yeah. You see. It didn't take too long, did it, from Matt Hancock setting up NHSX, which was only in 2019, in the summer 2019. And he set them up as uh, pretty much a sort of... Well, he, he said it was a solution, didn't he, to the sort of mm. disjointed tech leadership in the NHS and said that putting it into NHS X was going to to solve this uh, this sort of disjointed uh, landscape, which never, I have to say, quite, I under—I never quite understood it. Because you, you, don't, you don't sort of simplify something by adding an extra thing to, mm. to the landscape. In my head, that doesn't quite make sense. But it, it feels a bit like, so the, I think NHS X has added some value because it has... I think sort of focused people's attentions more and um, it's put some of the key policymakers in the same organisation and made them work closer together. But as Sajid Javid says, as an outsider sort of coming into it, it does seem strange that it's, it's split over three organisations. Um, mm. And Jasmine, I know you cover, you've covered tech as well for, for most of your time at HSJ. Have, have you been, what, what, what do you think people are going to sort of think about this uh, potential coming together more between E, X and D? Is it, are people in favour of it or against it? I mean, judging by the reactions to NHSX when it was first set up, which as you kind of just mentioned, were 
often just confusion by making trying to make something more simple by adding another arm um, and it has I would say never been 100% clear as to what the purpose of that was and why why they needed to set up another organisation to, to simplify things. NHS uh, or tech in general and also getting tech into the NHS is so so complicated and um, stressful as it is for for providers anyway. It just seemed interesting that that was their kind of course of action to simplify things. So I imagine people might be frustrated because obviously like you said it NHS what was in NHS X was introduced not all that long ago. So you know people question why all that money was spent on setting up a new unit for it then to be scrapped or kind of amalgamated into something else mm. over the next few years um and after the past few years so i think people will have a lot to say about it and kind of question why things weren't done differently three or so years ago but yeah. it'll be interesting to see exactly what the outcome of the review are and hopefully it'll be something more permanent and like you said, while NHSX has had its benefits, something that's even more beneficial to kind of the development of tech and digital innovation in the NHS. Yeah, yeah. And we should, of course, say that we have been asking X, E and D uh, for their comments on this and asked them directly, are you going to be merged? Uh, to which the answer was a polite, we don't comment on leaks um, and rumours. We did get one, uh, I suppose we could call it an on-record quote from NHS Digital's interim CEO, Simon Bolton, because he tweeted something in response to uh, our deputy editor, Dave West, tweet uh, while watching Javid's speech. And Simon Bolton said, uh, this was in response to Dave suggesting NHS Digital may be abolished. Uh, Simon Bolton said, we can definitely bring together decision makers already working well with colleagues across EI and X, <laughs> so many different acronyms, uh, with plenty of examples of successes. Not sure that I see as abolishing NHS Digital, more like building on the strong foundations we've created, which sounds nice and conciliatory. Uh, and of course, he's new to the NHS family so he's obviously I think keen to maintain good relations and not say anything too controversial at this point but also seem to indicate that there is definitely going to be some degree of closer working which may well mean full merger Uh, I guess we will Mm -hmm. find out quite soon Um, so that will be uh, interesting um, to follow did um, I guess the other big thing as well uh, Jasmine that Sajid Javid mentioned uh, was the uh, messenger review uh, into NHS leadership. Did you have any update on what the latest is with that particular piece of work? He, I think he just covered what was already um, out there about it. I mean, it was announced relatively recently um, and he just mentioned how they are hoping to draw on the really good parts of NHS leadership over the pandemic and apply them across the NHS following the review and he did have some questions about why a whole other review was being carried out and could they not just build on recommendations that have previously been made from NHS leadership and he did make the point that this is the first full review of leadership since the 80s so you know use that to say that there's obviously you know it's obviously time that this is looked at properly and um, I guess recognize that there are pockets of good leadership in the NHS but also pockets of not very good leadership in the NHS and they're trying to um, come out with a more kind of consistent approach to leadership especially which is really really important at the moment given that we're awaiting um, 
given the new health and social care bill, which is due to be, um, well, hopefully be approved in April next year and, and kind of um, put ICSs on a statutory footing. So it's very important that um, leadership is as consistent as possible to kind of get the most out of those organisations. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because it seems to me that taking the best of the NHS and scaling it um, into other parts of the NHS is sort of the NHS is famously bad at doing that. <laughs> um, so it'll be very interesting to see if um, if Gordon Messenger's uh, going to kind of instigate some change there. Um, I guess we will have to see. Uh, we're still waiting for the terms of reference, aren't we? I think even for that review, Lawrence, is that right? I think I think it was announced that well, Sajid David said that we were going to get the terms reference last month for the messenger review, but we still haven't had them. Yeah, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, so that's um, maybe a bit strange. Uh, okay, so that takes us on to, I think, the sort of last topic for today, uh, which is the very fresh news about Health Education England, um, which is apparently going to be merged with NHS England. Uh, it, of course, this had to break uh, when our workforce correspondent Annabelle was on holiday. So uh, that's very typical timing. But Lawrence, um, are you OK to just take us through what the story is so far? Uh, what, what do we know about this uh, at the moment? Yeah, sure. The, the, there's perhaps a bit of similarity to, to what's um, been the situation in the tech space in the um, kind of workforce planning and the organisations around that have been have been in a bit of a mess for quite a long time, partly because there's too many organisations involved with, with, with different responsibilities and interests. Um, and so you've had the, the organisation of staff training and education has been separate to service delivery when in reality though those things those things are kind of in in extra inextricably linked together <laughs> to quote Amanda Pritchard <laughs> yes um and um because you know you you have training doctors actually work in the NHS and are, and are crucial to those staffing rotors and to patient safety and so on um, and so you've had HE sitting as a standalone organisation within the Department of Health um, outside the NHS budget, which has meant it hasn't benefit, benefited from the same funding uplifts as the NHS has uh, since 2015. Um, and, and the the, the organisational complexity has made it difficult to develop a long-term workforce strategy, which um, basically everyone in and around the NHS agrees is desperately needed to solve the long-term staffing problems. Um, and this was a big omission from the long-term plan in uh, 2018. Um, if you can remember back to that, it seems an awful long time ago now. Um, but we've basically been waiting for this workforce strategy ever since. Um, and funding has been an, an, another sticking point. So it's been outside that NHS, HE has been outside that NHS ring fence since, since 2015. And the, um, the funding settlement they've, that they were trying to get in the recent spending review was deemed unaffordable by the Treasury. And so this was starting to put huge pressure on NHS England to, to support that budget with their with their protected ring fenced funding. 
um, which it now appears to be willing to do. But in in return for that, it wants to have full control over 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 HEE, which which you know you can understand if you if you if you're going to be funding something you want control over it mm. um and so in in theory th this should mean that workforce and financial planning um start to be sort of more aligned and could and it could make a clearer path for the for the proper workforce strategy to finally be delivered um it, it could also mean that health and education um health education and training isn't sort of viewed in isolation and is more is more kind of planned as an integral part of delivering services um it, i suppose it will work if nhs england give it the priority that it's lacked um and, and there's huge pressure for it to work so so amanda pritchard earlier this week was saying it was it was very unfair to ask staff to continue working as hard as they have been during the pandemic, um, and 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 she suggested that the the workforce plan that Anna, that uh, Jasmine mentioned um, that's due in the spring will resolve that, um, and that that's a pretty big ask and expectation for this plan. Um, so so the, the, there is massive pressure now to get it right. Yeah. I mean, again, as someone who isn't very familiar with the sort of workforce policy area, it doesn't seem very controversial that it is merged for the reasons you set out, that it will kind of give NHC more control and the ability to perhaps align the, the funding and the policy much better. Is there anything that is controversial about it? I th a couple of the, w one of the risks that I saw someone flagging um, was that it, 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 there's, there's now a risk it will be even more um, centred on um, and focused on on start healthcare staff who are directly employed by the NHS, and so it won't take as much of a sort of system level view. Um, and and then you, then of course you have so, the social care issue as well. Um, yeah. the, there's there's a risk. There's perhaps more of a risk that 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 now gets. That now gets forgotten because that's not within NHS England's responsibilities, whereas it sort of is within the Department of Health's responsibilities. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose that's another risk, but I, I, I must confess I don't know the I don't know the kind of detailed history of HEE and and the, all the reasons why it was um, it was separate to to NHS England in the first place to to mm. kind of. Know, it give give a comprehensive answer on it. Yeah, and I guess I don't know, but I guess one of the risks as well is that if it's now going to be sort of fully owned by NHS England, uh, the funding for for workforce training, education, so on, will have to come sort of from NHS England, and that means that there may be less money available for other things that NHS England uh, works on or or funds because. It now has to take into consideration that HEE, um, you know, rather than HEE as a separate entity getting money from the government, albeit it sounds like in the recent years HEE hasn't had much money anyway from the government, as far as I've understood it, at least not as much as it would have liked. But is is it is there now potentially a risk that other areas of NHS England may, you know, it's going to be harder to kind of give yeah. all the areas what they need? Yes, I, su I suppose they. 
the, the, the HE budget is about four billion, and so you you think well, well that now that will just kind of transfer over into the NHS England budget. But yeah, if if NHS England's are going to now say we're going to fund the uplifts that you were asking for, um, and that and that ha- and they haven't been given the sort of extra money from the Treasury for that, then obviously they're going to have to find that from elsewhere within the NHS budget. Mm. Um, but you know, the, I suppose that if you if you're sitting in the Treasury, we, you're going to say, well, the NHS budget has had a lot of extra money, um, so you should be able to find it there. Yes. Okay. Uh, in that, uh, on that note, I think we will say we are about out of time. So uh, I'm sure there will be lots more to say about the HEE merger. As I say, story only broke yesterday, and doubtless there will be more details on that coming in the next few days. So do keep uh, checking hj.co.uk for updates there. Thanks very much to Lawrence and Jasmine for joining me on the podcast today. Um, Thanks also for listening. And a reminder, you can get in touch with your tips and ideas for what we should talk about by emailing Annabelle Collins at wilmingtonhealthcare.com. You've been listening to the HSJ Health Check podcast, which is available each week on the HSJ website and across all the main podcast channels. Please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week.